Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, we take a look at the charges brought against New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft for solicitation of prostitution. We consider it from a variety of angles, including the NFL, the damage, reputational damage to both the NFL and the New England Patriots, the reputational damage to Kraft directly. And finally, from the compliance perspective, what should a chief compliance officer consider when they are evaluating, hiring a CEO or senior exec to go into the C-suite or perhaps a a joint venture partner or a mergers and acquisition candidate? When does the private become public? Is it only after a criminal act or is it after other uh, incidents which could negatively impact a company going forward? This is a fascinating exploration of a case literally ripped from the front pages that Matt and I take a deep dive into. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast contains explicit language. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, also editor and founder of Radical Compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Uh, today, I think we're going to have a lot of fun because we're going to take a look at the imbroglio surrounding uh, Patriots, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft uh, that he got himself into over the past few days. So, Matt, with that long-winded and short at the same time introduction, first of all, welcome. And uh, what did Mr. Kraft do? Uh, hi, Tom. It's uh, good to be here. And yeah, sure. So I will give you the background on what Bob Kraft did for any listeners with small children in the background. You may want to have them put their earmuffs on. Um, so Bob Kraft, age 77, owner of the New England Patriots, net worth approximately $6 billion. Uh, and for the record, no relation to the Kraft Heinz conglomerate. But anyways, very wealthy man, a most powerful owner in the NFL, was arrested last week, or actually he was charged last week and arrested just this morning on Monday on two charges of soliciting prostitution in the state of Florida, in Jupiter, Florida. That is a misdemeanor down there, but um, police say that in January of this month, Bob Kraft visited a massage parlor called the, I think, the Asian Orchid Spa Uh, in Jupiter, Florida, where he was videotaped receiving two different sex acts for money, um, videotaped getting the act, then videotaped uh, paying the owners, the managers, the girls, I'm not exactly sure who, but videotaped getting the act and then handing money over to the spa employees. Um, This happened on January 19th, uh, the evening thereof, and then again a few hours later on the morning of January 20th, 
before Bob Kraft flew in a private jet to Kansas City for the AFC Championship game, which the Patriots did win. Uh, but nonetheless, this is a big mess. Uh, this is a big mess because uh, Bob Kraft apparently was a customer of a human sex trafficking ring. Um, police in Florida have now arrested hundreds of men, some of them at least as business and socially prominent as Bob Kraft, if not bigger. Uh, but they've arrested hundreds of men, including Bob Kraft, in this sting. They've shut down 10 or so spas in Florida alone. This is part of a larger human trafficking organiza- uh, investigation that goes from Florida to New York, back to China, where apparently many of these women were trafficked from. Uh, the details of what these women went through were not at all pleasant. Uh, they were not allowed to leave these spas unless they were escorted somewhere. They you know, basically were sex slaves, and uh, Bob Kraft was one of their customers. And this has caused uh, great consternation to the public and a big headache for the NFL, that's for sure. So um, there, I think there are lots of different ways to, to unpack this, Matt. Um, if we could, perhaps leaving the human trafficking aside for at least for the moment, uh, let me just start with uh, the NFL. And yep. Kraft's position in the NFL is uh, he is, if not the leading owner in terms of championships, um, he may be tied tied with George Hallis. I can't remember, but he's certainly in the modern era, uh, the greatest owner in terms of championships with the Patriots with six championships, uh, uh, Super Bowl championships, having just won the sixth uh, this pat or this month actually. So he is as high profile in the NFL uh, as their can be. In addition to that, he's positioned himself as a statesman of professional football. He has served on uh, the media committee uh, as the chairman of the media committee and the finance and NFL networks committee. He was the face of the NFL in the 2011 lockout. He has certainly been a sounding board for Commissioner Roger Goodell, although uh, they may have had a bit of a falling out over the Tom Brady and Deflate Gate scandal, nevertheless, he is, if if not the most, uh, perhaps Jerry Jones would argue, one of the most prominent and certainly the most winning owner. So he is out there as much as anyone. And uh, when you have uh, someone out there that far and they get knocked down this far, that's always going to cause a huge problem for the group that he's associated with. And here it's the New England Patriots and. Uh, the NFL. Uh, the NFL uh, has uh, given its uh, typical tepid statements. Uh, one was that, uh, and uh, Ken Belson and Vic Mather writing in the New York Times quoted that our personal conduct policy applies equally to everyone in the NFL. We will handle this allegation in the same way we would handle any other issue under the policy, or we are seeking a full understanding of the facts while ensuring that we do not interfere with ongoing law enforcement investigation. We will take appropriate action as warranted based upon the facts. Now, the NFL can sanction players and owners for conduct that is not illegal, uh, that reaches beyond uh, criminal activity. Uh, and we've seen that in, in a couple of instances that I'll go over later. But maybe we could start with where do you see uh, the NFL in all this, although, uh, uh, well, I, I will just ask you that. Well, as much as I am loath to say this, because I really don't think that highly of NFL Commissioner Bob Goodell, I, I feel 
somewhat sympathetic to him that he is a really difficult problem on his hand where I think no matter what Goodell does, he is going to upset a significant number of people in the country. Um, in theory, I pulled up some of the key language in the NFL's personal conduct policy. It states, quote, ownership and club or league management have traditionally been held to a higher standard and will be subject to more significant discipline for personal misconduct. Um, I don't think in the fullness of time there's going to be too much confusion about you know, what actually did Bob Kraft do. We have two videotapes. I certainly hope that these things do not slip out into the public discourse. But you know, look, he's caught on tape. We he did this. Um, so we have to move beyond that and just think about what were the expectations of good conduct that here that you know, Bob Kraft should have had, and that Roger Goodell is going to have to think about how to apply them. Um, if I look for an an analogous incident in uh, the corporate realm, it's a bit difficult because you want to say that there are superstar employees and they have to be held to high standards of conduct. And, you know, Bob Kraft is, a, he's a superstar NFL owner. He's certainly the most powerful owner in the NFL, um, but he's also the CEO of his organization. So there's a bit more of like the superstar CEO misconduct and, how would you discipline that if you are who exactly the board um, nominally Roger Goodell would be the CEO and all the other NFL owners would be the board of professional football. That would be the way to think about it. You could kind of sort of say he would be like what we saw with Steve Wynn and Wynn resorts that Steve Wynn was this enormously influential figure within his company what Steve Wynn did was far worse than what Bob Kraft did. We should be clear on that. But how do you discipline somebody that larger than life, that high up on the food chain? I, I'm not quite sure, but plenty of people will be wondering, should Bob Kraft still have ownership of the team or should he be relegated to some emeritus role while his two sons own the team and are the day-to-day -day people? Um, you know, this is a private family-owned enterprise, so it's not like there are a whole lot of shareholders who have some sort of stake or influence in how the Patriots are conducting themselves. I, I don't quite know what the right disciplinary vehicle is, but you know, Bob Goodell is going to have a, a difficult situation on his hand because the NFL has mishandled domestic violence issues before, and we put this on that spectrum. It is a very small misconduct compared to some of the previous, you know, violence against women that we have seen. Um, you know, certainly Bob Kraft did not beat anybody up. He did not shoot anybody. We have seen plenty of instances of violence against women, and this is more exploiting women. And I don't condone that either, but it is not the same as beating a woman in an elevator, which we have seen NFL players do that before. And the NFL has screwed up its investigations and discipline then. So how are they going to remedy what the the past bad reputation that they have landed themselves in how are they going to get themselves out of this jam i don't quite know well matt uh kevin seifert writing in nfl nation uh cited four examples of discipline of owners uh, the indianapolis colts owner jim ursay was suspended six games and fined five hundred thousand dollars for being arrested um while operating a vehicle intoxicated told a judge he was under the influence of oxycodone and hydrocodone. 
Detroit Lions team president Tom Lewin was suspended for 30 days and fined $100,000 after pleading guilty to driving while impaired. And then uh, the most significant was uh, former San Francisco 49ers owner Eddie DiBartolo in 1989, pled guilty to a felony charge of failure to report an extortion scheme related to former uh, Louisiana Governor Edwin Edwards. The NFL fined him a million dollars and suspended him for the entire season. So some type of suspension would be uh, would be in order. Uh, but as you correctly note, uh, it's a family-owned corporation. His sons uh, are poised to take over uh, at some point. So what might be the uh, the actual Uh, effect of that, which really leads into uh, the next area that I wanted to explore, which is um, the reputational hit directly on Robert Kraft. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of uh, just the stunning way the New England franchises run and the fact that they won six Super Bowls, I think uh, he was a shoe-in to become uh, or be enshrined into uh, Cooperstown not Cooperstown, uh, Canton, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So <clears throat> the question becomes, uh, will this define him at, here at the end of his career? Uh, and this is how people will remember him, uh, and it will uh, damage uh, his chances for Canton or at least delay them. Uh, is that something that uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters would consider? I mean – I don't know. I, they probably should. I keep on circulating back also to how this is really, this is a bit of a me too sort of a scandal. Um, you know, Robert Kraft did not harass an employee directly, but, you know, he took advantage of human traffickers who were harassing and abusing these girls who were working in the spas. And he was able to waltz in and use his enormous power dynamic over them for something that I'm sure they did not want to do. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who will say that prostitution should not be a crime. If it's two consenting adults, I suppose I might go along with that. This was not the case. This was a very wealthy older man and some sort of exploited, possibly underage, but definitely exploited vulnerable woman who would, I presume not want to do this on her own volition with a man who's probably 60 years older than her. Um, You know, really reprehensible stuff uh, that he participated in. And can you ignore that? Can you not? Uh, I don't know. You know, one thing that stuck out at me was uh, there is a media outlet here in Boston that maybe also have some outlets in your own respective cities, wherever you are. It's called Barstool Sports founded here in Boston. And it's one of these sort of low rent sports uh, culture discussion groups, newspaper, website and whatnot. But the editor said uh, the editor's name is David Portnoy. Uh, It's pretty clear. Mr. Kraft had nothing to do with the larger issues at hand, larger issues being human trafficking. I just what planet are you on? If you think that Uh, it was people like Robert Kraft and all the other hundreds of men who participated in these uh, human trafficking centers, um, their demand for these services made the larger issues at hand. If nobody was going to engage in this, the human traffickers would be doing some other nefarious activity, not smuggling women into the country. Um, so he really, you know, like the customer of a human trafficking agent's uh, ring, they do play a pretty significant role in the crime that is being committed. So can you ignore that? 
I don't know. I have a real problem with it. And I'm a lifelong fan of the New England Patriots. Uh, I had generally praised Bob Kraft's business acumen. I think he's been a very good owner. But you hear this sort of personal misconduct news, and you're like, ugh, really? Because, I mean, dude, it's just gross. And a lot of people are going to have that visceral reaction to it. So, Matt, let's uh, perhaps turn down now to some uh, issues directly uh, uh, focused on compliance, compliance practitioners, and a chief compliance officer, because it occurred to me that one of the things this case illustrates is, uh, in a very public way, how the private has become public. Mm -hmm. And the lives of CEOs, um, their tweets, their uh, podcasts, and their personal lives are now not just open fodder for page six, but actually uh, risk management topics and risk factors. And this is not to conflate these two at all, but I was really struck around um, the time of the Jeff Bezos divorce announcement because of the commentary that his soon-to-be ex-wife would become the second largest shareholder at Amazon. And what did that portend for the company? Uh, something that, that I would have considered a, a private affair, his, his marriage and his resolution of his marriage or the end of his marriage, rather, uh, was now very public because of this. And, and certainly his position in America as the richest man and uh, the owner of the Washington Post as well. But what does that mean for a company that wants to consider uh, a CEO candidate? What does that mean for a company that's bringing someone from middle management up to the C-suite and even to the point of potential mergers and acquisition candidates or joint venture partners? Do you need to look at their reputational background to see uh, if there's anything that might indicate forward-looking conduct? Because frankly, I can't remember if you or I said it, but uh, it's you don't wake up when you're 77 and think, I'm just going to go down to the um, massage parlor and, and find out what, what happens there. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, uh, there's got to be some something that would at least enlighten you as to what goes on at such a massage parlor. Well, it, I have a couple of different thoughts there. So what are the broader compliance uh, program lessons people might want to keep in mind about the public and the private for the CEO? I would answer that in two ways. Uh, number one, I think the big risk you need to think about if you are a company is key employee risk. Um, and we've seen this a lot. If your personal misconduct suddenly blows up and becomes an issue and you have to part ways with the company, uh, the company is losing a key employee. Now, it may well be good riddance to you because you are a harasser, you're a drug user, you're a gambler, you're visiting massage parlors, whatever. Um you know, the, the, the departure might be well warranted given the offense, but from a business standpoint, you lose a key employee without proper planning and advance notice that can put you in a really difficult spot. Uh, I would point back to, I think it was Nike in 2018, where they parted ways with two senior executives who were definitely on the Me Too spectrum, I'll put it that way. I th don't remember exactly what they were doing, but I think they were allowing a culture of harassment and participating in it. Uh, this came out, and so Nike parted ways with them. These were senior executives Nike was planning on having run the business into the 2020s, and now they're not there. And now Nike has to do something else. So it is certainly within bounds of the company to th consider potential private difficulties making the un an employee suddenly unavailable. 
I would make a distinction, though. I wouldn't necessarily say that was the same with Jeff Bezos and what happened there. That is more, um, it's prevalent specifically in the technology sector. We have this owner concentration risk um, that Jeff Bezos is by far and away the largest and most influential shareholder at Jeff Bezos uh, at Amazon. So if something were to happen with him personally, could it affect his ownership of the company? Sure. And that's exactly what's been going on. And now his soon-to-be ex-wife will be a significant owner of Amazon stock. And she could influence the company in ways that hitherto the company didn't have to think about. Uh, But you could say the same for Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. You could probably say it for the owners of multiple high-tech businesses that are going to come on to the market that had designed themselves to keep a tremendous amount of power within the hands of the founders, even though uh, it's publicly traded. This is a bad governance practice. I don't like it, but it goes on. Facebook is a good example of it. Snap is another one. Um, And then suddenly, if they have some sort of personal issue, wind up dividing their shares somehow, they die suddenly and it passes on to their estate. I don't know what, but like then the company could also have a real problem. It's not the same as this misconduct issue that I talked about with Nike and I think the Patriots here and others, but it's valid to ask. Um, the other point that I wanted to bring up, since you had mentioned a 77-year-old suddenly deciding, huh, maybe I should go visit a massage parlor for the first time. The NFL is going to investigate this. Uh, They're going to say that they'll investigate, and then they might actually go ahead and be serious about it. Stranger things have happened with the NFL. Um, But then if the NFL winds up investigating not just Bob Kraft's behavior, but his leadership and the culture at the Patriots, if it devolves into something like that and we get something more akin to what we saw with the Dallas Mavericks – where uh, they documented a rather extensive culture of demeaning attitudes towards women, uh, and it became a big problem for the Mavericks. If an investigation starts with one executive's personal misconduct and spills into, does he therefore set a loose tone at his organization? Let's look there. And now we're looking around at what's going on in the Patriots. If we find a few other examples, and suddenly the story becomes that Bob Kraft you know, allowed this to happen, then I think the Patriots as an organization and the ownership structure, like then the NFL is a much more serious issue on its hands. And then they do have to start thinking about, do we want to let him keep owning the team? Um, As I said before, his sons are already very much involved in the team. You could ease him out. I don't think that would be a huge change for the Patriots anyways, but Will an investigation start with Bob Kraft and somehow become an investigation to the culture of the Patriots and that organization under his leadership? And what would they find? And you know, suddenly we're we're down a, a rabbit hole that could be very difficult. Uh, something you said really uh, hit, uh, took um, made a light bulb go off in my head, Matt, and that took me to former ESPN CEO John Skipper. John Skipper resigned approximately uh, eighteen months ago. Um, because he said that he had been um, extorted around his cocaine addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it is unclear to me how known or unknown that problem was within the ESPN organization, but you have a CEO of a major sports organization or major media organization admitting he has a cocaine problem, and it was such a pro- it was a problem to the extent that uh, one or more of his suppliers threatened to uh, blackmail him over uh, purchases of uh, this illegal drug, and so that uh, potentially there's a, a whole new level of risk. If a company doesn't look at these things, and um, not to say that people can't drink too much, but I think if you move it over to an illegal act or uh, buying an illegal drug, that uh, unfortunately takes it to a new area of risk. I think so. And, well, I I might quibble with your word choice there that it's not that it takes it to a new area of risk. It takes it to a new level of risk because it's not as if um, cocaine dealers weren't blackmailing CEOs 60 years ago. There were coke addicts running companies back then, and they were getting blackmailed too. And there were CEOs who were visiting human trafficking sex parlors uh, here and there. What's happened in the modern world, and Tom, we've talked about this before, is this all gets exposed through the lens of social media, and it's not a new risk. It amplifies the risks you already have. And that's, I think, what does put the Patriots and Bob Kraft and the NFL in a difficult position is everybody's not just watching how this happens, but they are commenting on it in real time. You and I are doing it in real time. Um, and then, you know, like I said before, Bob Goodell is or Roger Goodell is going to wind up alienating some significant part of the country, no matter what he decides to do. He could be draconian and force Bob Kraft out of the Patriots, and people are going to say that's too much. He could give him a suspension, and people will say that is too little, and it just feeds into the narrative that the NFL doesn't take uh, oppression or violence against women seriously. And you know, you can see the narratives and the battle lines already being drawn. Um, I don't know what the answer to that is. But as you and I have also said many times before, it just simply underlines the importance of having good conduct and getting all of that right in the first place to try to reduce the occasions of uh, this sort of behavior, because there is no good answer here. I I don't know what the answer is, but none of it is going to be satisfactory to a significant number of people. doesn't matter what uh, Roger Goodell does. You know, Matt, I think that's uh, really a great way to uh, to end this podcast. We really explored a lot of different areas, and certainly uh, you uh, made me think of uh, several different avenues that uh, we could perhaps explore uh, either uh, on blog posts or later podcasts. So um, kudos. So right, for, uh, for Matt Kelly, uh, founder and editor of Radical Compliance and the coolest guy in compliance, this is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take a look at a compliance or compliance-related topic and take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds to explore this topic. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.